0: supper when does the church do the lord's supper and we try to make that a very special time here uh, i think i have nothing wrong with people doing it every week or every day or every month or whatever uh, but we just feel like that uh, or i feel like as a pastor that it ought to be a special time this is a special time that we have set aside to do the lord's supper as a church united as we finish the book of mark and uh Jesus has come into Jerusalem. The Bible had prophesied he would. He's cleansed the temple. He's now gathered in the upper room. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 22, is where we'll be reading today. And it's really a transformation. It's a transformation of the Passover feast, and he's turning it into the Lord's Supper. Now, some of our brothers call it Eucharist, some of it call it Communion. I call it the Lord's Supper. We're from the south. That's why people, they get all confused. They think we're eating dinner tonight. We don't, you've never heard the Lord's dinner. It's the Lord's supper. Uh, we have supper at night. We have lunch or dinner during the day. And uh, so we're here in the uh, upper room. Jesus has left the church two ordinances. One is the ordinance of baptism. Now, everybody doesn't agree with that, but I believe the Bible teaches that baptism is a church ordinance. Uh, when you see that uh, you're seeing a example of the gospel the death when you're laid down into the water that's the death and you're being raised up to walk in newness of life that's a picture of the gospel the other ordinance that the lord gave us is the lord's supper and it is a picture of the gospel breaking of the bread, the breaking of the body, the fruit of the vine is the blood that Jesus spilt on Calvary for our sin. Both of those represent the gospel. Now, those are the only two ordinances I can find. Some people disagree. They think foot washing is an ordinance. It's not an ordinance. I have nothing against foot washing. I think people ought to have clean feet, but it's not an ordinance of the church. It doesn't portray the gospel. The Lord's Supper And baptism both portray the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Now Jesus is about to go into Gethsemane. The Word of God tells us that Jesus is overwhelmed uh, emotionally and spiritually by what he has experienced. And as he's entered into the Garden of Gethsemane that night, you think about the pressure that the Lord was under during this time. You say, well, he was God. He was all God. Amen? But he was also all man. And as he goes into this upper room and getting ready to go to the garden and then getting ready to go to the crucifixion. He knows that he's about to suffer intense pain. He knows that he's about to become sin on a cross. He knows he's about to be judged by his father. He knows that for the first time in eternity there will be a breach in the unbroken fellowship that he has enjoyed with his father. He knows that he'll be abandoned by his nation, by his follower, and by his father. He knows that he's about to be tried, rejected, and condemned by death to the very people that he came to save. He knows that the most powerful human government on earth is about to turn its fury upon him. Then the kiss of betrayal by Judas, the mock trial, the scourging at the flogging post being nailed to a cross, he'll die at 3 p.m. after being hanging there in that mid-eastern sun from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock. So as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper this morning, we know the old system of killing the sacrifices has come to an end. No need to kill any more animals because Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. He's the Passover lamb. We uh, discussed this Wednesday night as we followed up on that. The law never could save anyone. The law only informs the mind, but the law cannot transform the heart. The speed limit sign says 60 miles an hour in front of this church here. The law can tell you what the speed limit is, but the law cannot transform your heart and make you drive 60 miles an hour. Only the heart can do that. So once and for all, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. We understand that Jesus is bearing a load that he did not own, and that we're to follow him, and that he's prepared a place for us in heaven. We understand that our Lord was betrayed, and that all of us are capable, every one of us. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us are capable, were it not for the grace of God, to be mixed up in any sin that we read anything about. Every one of us are capable. Now in verse 22, the Bible said, And as they did eat, Jesus took bread, blessed, break it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Max Licato in his book, Eye of the Storm, and Chuck Swindoll in his book, The Darkness to the Dawn, talk about a guy named Ed, old Eddie. Uh, Eddie was a y- unusual elderly man. He lived in a little seaside village. If you looked at Ed, you could tell beyond a shadow of a doubt that he had spent far too much time in the sun. His skin was beaten down and leathery like the soles on his shoes. His face was wrinkled. His brow was aged. Very few people that lived in that small seaside village knew Ed's story. What they did know about Ed was that he engaged religiously like clockwork in a bizarre and unique ritual. Every Friday afternoon, the same time, just like clockwork, Ed would head down a long pier out into the Pacific Ocean. And uh, he, at the end of that pier, when he got out there, he would be carrying two things, one in each hand. One hand, he had a scoop. The other hand, he had a bucket of freshly peeled shrimp. And he would walk out to the end of that pier. Every Friday evening, the exact same time, just at sunset. Just as the sun was about to go down to the horizon into the waters of the Pacific Ocean. He would take that scoop and he would dip it down in that bucket of freshly peeled shrimp. And he would sling those shrimp along the edge of that pier. Well, if you weren't standing close by, you'd think that not only had the sun gotten to Ed's skin... But the sun had gotten to old Ed's mind too. Because as he would sling that scoop, he would mumble something under his breath. You could hear him mumbling the whole time he was on the end of that pier. Well, Ed didn't stay alone very long on the end of that pier because within just a few moments, there were literally hundreds of seagulls that swamped down on Ed to pick those shrimp up and to eat those shrimp. Those who had occasion to get close enough to Ed on this ritual could tell what he was mumbling under his breath. He was mumbling something, simple words. Thank you. With every casting of the scoop, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you." After many years of observing this strange ritual, the people in town learned who Ed was. He was a famed World War I hero and pilot, Eddie Rickenbacker. On one occasion, he was shot down over the Pacific Ocean. By a miracle, he and his flight crew of six men were able to land that B-17 in, in the Pacific Ocean and to still be able to get out of it and to get into a life raft. They got in that life raft, and of course it had just meager amount of food, some fishing line cord, uh, cord and it had a desalination kit to turn ocean water into drinking water just for a short time. After seven days of going around in the Pacific Ocean, hundreds of miles from where anybody would have ever known where they would be, they ran out of food. They had just a little bit of water left, Wouldn't be long until they all knew that they would die. they got together on a Friday afternoon. Seven men clinging to one another in this little pitiful raft. Fighting off the sun. Fighting off depression. Now they're fighting off hunger. Just about the time the sun was going down, they huddled together in that raft on a Friday afternoon and asked God for a miracle, a miracle to save their life. And after they would prayed, they decided it would probably be best that they just turn in and go to sleep earlier, rather than sit around and thinking about how they were going to die. And as Eddie began to drift off into sleep, he felt something strange land on his head. He knew what it was. Later on in his memoirs, he wrote that he sat there, it seemed like hours. He knew it was only probably 10 or 15 seconds. What to do, what to do, what to do. And with the precision of a trained pilot's hands, he quickly reached up and grabbed that seagull and wrung his neck. He began to peel that feathers off of that seagull and Now, I know this sounds gross, but, folk, when you're about to die, a seagull sounds pretty good. And literally, those men ate that meal of that seagull that night. They kept the intestines and the things that they didn't want to eat, and they used it for bait to catch more fish. They stayed alive for another two weeks until they were rescued. On hearing that story, the townspeople realized that old Eddie wasn't quite as crazy as they all thought he was. He went down every week at the exact same time, dipping that scoop in that bucket of freshly peeled shrimp, saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Today... What I want us to do spiritually is take our scoop and dip it down in that bucket of freshly peeled shrimp and just say thank you. You see, it was on a Friday afternoon when our Lord died for us. It was on a Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock that he who knew no sin became sin. So that we could have everlasting life. I was reading this week some of the testimonies of the Great Depression. Uh, we still live like we're in the Great Depression. Folk have more now than they've ever had before in their life. But in the Great Depression, there was a story I was reading about a father and his son And his son had gone to work with the father that day and word had came that there was a rush on at the bank and the father didn't know what that meant. and The little boy didn't know what that meant either, but they they all ran down to the bank and they were standing in line. And in line they were saying that you're only getting 20 cents on the dollar. They're giving you 20 cents on the dollar for every dollar you have. Before they could get up to the teller they came out and said, the bank's closed. There's no more money. The little boy said, Daddy, what does that mean? The daddy said, we're, we're ruined. We've lost everything. He held the little boy's hand and he went home. He went into the house and the kitchen where the mother was and she said, he said, honey, we've lost everything. We've lost everything. She put her arms around him and she said, Oh no, we're still saved. We've still got Jesus. We've still got each other. We've still got reason to celebrate. I'm going to ask you all over this congregation today. Some of you during this invitation time might need to come and just get your heart right with God. Some of you may need to join this church by how we receive letters. Some of you this morning may need to be saved. You've never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And today, God's saying, I want you to be saved today. You say, I don't understand it. There'll be counselors that will pray with you and go through the Word of God with you and help you understand it. But primarily, all over this congregation today, I'm going to ask you, daddies, lead the way. Mamas, if daddy won't, then you lead the way. Mom and daddy, if you won't, then young people, you go get your mom and daddy and lead the way. If they want, if we got any children left in here from children's church, you get your parents and you lead the way. And I'm going to ask you to come and just kneel here at this altar or just stand here at this altar, if you're physically able, and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, when's the last time you honestly just stopped and said, thank you? I drove up this morning, and I park over here. They give me a parking space that says reserved for the pastor. I'm something special. (laughs) Park's right beside the nursery. I drove up this morning, and I saw those couples getting those little babies out of the car seats. And I said, thank you, Lord. I remember a day when we didn't have any babies, when there were no children. I said, thank you, Lord. I walked into Arabella this morning. They had a sellout crowd there. 8.30, we have just a little get-together worship service. And I said, thank you, Lord. I know preachers who are trying to preach somewhere today and don't have anywhere to preach. And you've let me do this. I want you to reach that scoop down in that bucket and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you bow your head with me? Just as we start, Brother Case and myself and Brother Jason will be here. If you need to make a decision, I'm going to ask you to come. But I'm going to ask you from all over just to get up and come and say thank you. Just stop and say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, would you have your way today in this service? We praise you and thank you. We bless you. Because you have blessed us so much. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Does your head just continue to be bowed? You just come right now. God's laid upon your heart. You come right now. All over. From the balcony all the way over. Just take your time. we got plenty of time. This is the end of the sermon.